music, it connects in such a way for all of us, right? Um, music is this emotional string that uh, brings to life, paints a picture, tells a story, connects deeply, right? And, uh, you know, Hey Jude has this interesting, out of all the Beatles songs that they ever wrote, is ever on the charts, Hey Jude is the number one selling, played, sold song ever in all Beatles history. And it's connected at that deep emotional, right? How it was inspired, how it was written, where it came from, was this connection that Paul McCartney had with Julian as he watched this five-year-old boy go through an insane part, uh, moment in life as his parents were getting divorced. And for some of you, you, you understand that. You lived through that. And right, it doesn't matter if you're five or 15, right? As a child, if you've ever watched, gone through, experienced that personally, you understand you know, your whole world is turned upside down. And out of that, you know, literally as, as Paul was in the car driving, he starts crafting this song that connected so deeply and in return connected with millions and millions and millions of people. I started thinking about you know, music and, and how much it's been inspired through really deep tragedy and emotional um, moments where people are conflicted or in pain or confused or whatever that might be tied to it. And uh, I found that uh, Rolling Stone magazine came out with the top 500 songs ever to be played. And they had this, this set of criteria that they use from album sales to singles and how, how long the song was on the charts to uh, the cultural impact. They had all these criteria. And so I started flipping through this, these 500 songs. And uh, this is so interesting. It probably won't shock you at all, but... Uh, Here's the top four songs. Number one on their list was Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan. And if you know anything about that song, literally Bob was, was in this season of life where he was ready just to quit, to turn it in, throw in a towel, say forget music, forget society, forget, forget all of it, I'm done. And this is what he said. He said the song, it's about the loss of innocence and the harshness of the life experience. Number one song. It's coming out of that place in life. And that's why I think it connected so deeply with so many people. Number two on their list. I can't get no satisfaction. Mick Jagger was quoted as saying that that song was his view of the world. Frustrated Everything about it. Out of that place came that song. Number three on the list was John Lennon's Imagine. Through his drug-induced haze, he starts looking at this world. You don't have to agree with his perspective. You don't have to like his perspective. But you have to grant him that he's looking at this world and everything that was wrong with the world and he wanted so desperately to paint a picture that was different than what he perceived, what he was living through, what he had experienced. Number four on the list, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. 
And you know what's interesting? When he wrote that song and produced that song, he had three just kind of catastrophic pieces just all colliding in his world. One, he had just lost one of his closest friends who had battled a three-year fight uh, with a, uh, a brain tumor. And then right next to that was he was going through just a really intense emotional divorce with his wife. And then he had this, this turbulent relationship with his father that was hitting kind of epic proportions. And out of those three things in his world came this song. Then you bounce through five, six, and seven, which was Aretha Franklin's R-E-S-P-E-C-T, which just kind of blew my whole theory. I'm like, and we get to number five. It's that song. Uh, and then the Beach Boys, Good Vibrations, which is fun. You got to have little Beach Boys in there. And uh, Johnny Be Good. And then at number eight on their list, Hey Jude. See, music connects with us because usually, right, it's coming out of pain. Coming out of those moments in life that crash in on the artist. And if all of us could write songs, what would those lyrics be inspired by, right? Probably from those moments in life. When life just crashes in on us. When one day things are going good, the next day things are horrible. My wife and I, we love uh, the holiday season. Uh, It's just one of those things. And we've worked really hard over the years to create just really cool traditions for her and I and and for our family with our kids. And so uh, in Vegas, kind of the Christmas season was always, we have a ton of traditions around this season just because we love it so much. In Vegas, it was interesting because, you know, the Christmas season time, you're still in shorts. And, uh, and when you w- would go to a Christmas tree, like farm in Vegas, it was a Christmas tree parking lot. And so <laughs> they literally would pile trees on these dusty asphalt parking lots. And, uh, that was what we did. So we'd go to these Christmas tree parking lots. It was part of our holiday tradition. So rolling into uh, this season, we're like, okay, what, what's our new traditions? Because I don't think New Jersey have, they have uh, Christmas tree parking lots, right? And, uh, and so we're like, what are we going to do? What's that going to look like? And we're like, well, the city, right? You got to go in the city. It's Christmas time. So yesterday, uh, we, the girls were so excited. We get to ride the train. We're like, yeah, we get to ride the train. They're so pumped up until the first stop. And they realized that the train... It's going to take an hour. And so the first five minutes were like, yes. And the next 50 minutes was like, when are we going to get there? <laughs> you know, we're like, we should just, anyway. And so we got in the city. We got in the city and uh, our first stop was Macy's. Because in Macy's, you could write letters to Santa Claus. So we told the girls, hey, we're going to go to Macy's and write letters to Santa Claus. They're like, awesome. And so it took us a while in Macy's to try to actually find the huge red mailbox. You know what I mean? If you've ever looked for it, you have to look for it, right? They're smart. But uh, so we found it. And, uh, and right on the front of the, this mailbox, they're like, write your letter to Santa. And then Big Prince is like, you have to provide your own stamp. And you're like... Who just carries stamps with them, right? I was like, oh, wait, one second, I have a stamp in my pocket, right? I'm like, ridiculous. So uh, the kids were let down. We're like, we'll write letters later to Santa. And uh, so <laughs> we went from there to the Disney store in Times Square because they were all decorated for Christmas. And one of our, our Christmas traditions was always to go to Disneyland in SoCal, um, Southern California. 
And so we're like, oh, the Disney store will make up for that, kind of, not really. So we went there, and then uh, we went to the M&M store and bought uh, extremely overpriced M&Ms. I'm like, how much a pound, right? But you can mix them. And so, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so we did that, and then uh, we ate lunch, and then uh, we went to my favorite place, I mean, in the entire city. We, we went to the American Girl uh, store. <laughs> Whoever came up with that business model, let's charge a whole lot of money for dolls. I'm like, man, genius. And so I'm like, I'm walking through with a smile because you have to smile. And so I'm walking through this store and this lady actually stops and she says to me, she says, oh, it's so awesome that you came here with your daughters. I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I'm here. And uh, I just kept smiling. And then uh, we uh, ended up going to uh, Rockefeller Plaza Center, Rink place, square, whatever it's called, and uh, to watch people ice skate, you know, and we're like, let's watch people ice skate, so we're watching them, and I loved it, it was, so, I mean, if you just need some comedy in your life, just go watch people ice skate, because you have all these groups, you have the, you know, the couple that's in love, and they're skating together, and you're like, okay, sap, you just want to trip them, and, um, and then, and then, and then, yeah, sorry. And uh, then, you, then you get that one person. And if this is you, I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend you. But you get that one person that literally thinks they're in the Olympics. And they're all in their own world. And they're just spinning around. But they're not real, you know, graceful. But they're like, you like spotlight. And they're like, oh, I'm spinning. And you're just like, you look ridiculous. But you're having fun. So that's, that's cool. And so we watch people. And, uh, and so we made our way back to Penn Station. And on the way back to Penn Station, my wife had got a text on her phone from our real estate agent. We're still uh, been working on selling our house in Vegas just because the, if you haven't heard, the housing market in Vegas is horrible. And that's probably putting it lightly. It's just atrocious. So we've been working with a bank and working with a buyer. And last week we got a text that our buyer, who's been journeying with us now for a couple months, uh, they had to leave Vegas because the job situation. I mean, the housing market is horrible. The, the job market in Vegas is probably upwards of 20%. Not, not the percentage they give you in the news, right? We all know that number is. Okay, moving on. And, uh, but it's, it's way up there. And so their job fell through. They had to go back to California and live with their parents. You know, it's kind of a sad story. And so uh, our real estate agent last week was like, hey, we got to put it back on the market. And we're like, that's cool. We literally got four offers within 48 hours when we first put it on. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those deals where, you know, our house is um, very desirable. But uh, so when we got our text, we just thought, hey, we got another buyer. This is great. The bank's still working with us. Everything's moving forward. It's a good thing. And so my wife called Sally, our real estate agent, and, uh, and you, you just see... I, my whole wife's facial expression just like just quickly turned, and uh, we found out that uh, we're guessing this teenagers it has to be um, broken, uh, put a can of paint somehow lodged it in the toilet and flooded the entire house. I mean, we're talking water pouring down from the second floor down through. Oh. Right? You, you know those moments, right? We all have those those moments where you just can see crystal clear, like, exactly where you're standing. I'll never, we're standing right outside of Madison Square Garden, right by the escalators going down into Penn Station. We're standing right there against that wall. I'll never forget that spot. As we said, they're going, this isn't like a few hundred dollars worth of damage. We're talking 10, 15, 20, I mean, the house is thrashed. And you're just like, really, God? Seriously? 
I mean, what do, you, what do you do in moments like that, right? We all have them. I mean, right now, I mean, probably all of us in this room, and they're all different types, and they have different emotional you know, issues attached to them, right? But it's not like we just have one. There's like this list of these moments of life that crash in our world. And what do you do, and how do you respond, and how do you deal with, and how do you move forward when life crashes in on you? Today, we're going to look at the story in Mark chapter 4. And, uh, you know, what's, what's, what's really funny is last night I was back on the phone uh, with Sally. And, uh, I mean, we spent the next three or four hours, you know, on the train ride back, just trying to work with our agent and her and this whole thing, trying to figure all this out. And so late last night, I'm on the phone with her for the last time. And she said to me, and uh, I know Sally really well. She uh, went to the church um, where I worked at, I actually married her oldest son. So, you know, it's one of those deals where we really know her. So she said to me, she goes, Chris, she goes, man, this is a lot on your mind. Um, are you having to preach tomorrow morning? I'm like, I started to laugh. I go, yeah, and you know what I'm preaching on? <laughs> when life crashes in on you. <laughs> and I goes, I got free material. Hey, I don't even have to make stuff up. Not like I make stuff up, but you know, you're like, <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm joking on that. Ooh, that'd be good. Yeah, the house thing's not real. Uh, and so we find in Mark chapter 4, this moment, and we've got to kind of set it up to understand what's taking place uh, uh, in, the, in the story. But uh, Jesus had started his public ministry, and he was going just mock speeds. I mean, in Mark chapter 1, he literally says, that my, my goal is to preach and teach everywhere I go. And so he was literally preaching and teaching everywhere he went. And if you've ever done any type of public uh, communication, whether it's your gift or not, you understand that it takes a lot out of you. You know, every Sunday afternoon, my wife just knows built into my rhythm of every Sunday is nap time, you know? And, uh, and so uh, it takes a lot. And so he's been preaching, teaching everywhere he went. And crowds of people were following, not just a few, but thousands of people were following him everywhere he went, which took another piece out of him. He was having to connect with people on real deep emotional issues, Plus, people had heard that he was healing people, and so people were coming and wanting him and wanting his attention because they wanted to be healed. On top of all that, he was literally creating this, this, this cultural, religious kind of shift of how people experienced God and what they thought about God and who he was and what he came to do. And that created just an immense tension you know, within the culture. And so people were coming at him personally, attacking him, challenging him. And so he was fighting through all of that. And then he had gathered this group of 12 guys together that, that he just knew that the whole hope of the world, the church, was going to be placed on their shoulders to move forward after he ascended into heaven. And so he got this group together and they were just clueless. They, they didn't fully understand what was going on. He had a lot of work to do and he knew that. And so he was trying to lead them And so he kind of came to this place where he was just emotionally exhausted, had nothing left to give. And so this is where the story picks up. In verse 35, it says, As evening came, Jesus said to the disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they they took uh, Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High winds were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? You see, we see in this moment uh, all of Jesus' humanity. 
So many times we kind of look at Jesus and we're like, well, yeah, he's God. And we pay a lot of attention to his divinity, him being God, which is extremely important. But sometimes we fail to stop to realize that, yes, he was fully God, but he was fully man. He walked on this earth. He experienced all the emotions, all the feelings that you and I have. He was tempted in every way, but yet was without sin. He understood loss when he lost one of his best friends, Lazarus, and he wept. You see, so many times we focus on his divinity that we miss his humanity. There's this thought, it's called the uh, hypostatic union. And uh, back in 431 AD, uh, a bunch of church uh, leaders got together because there was this whole like, um, kind of division forming between Jesus' divinity, him being God, and Jesus' humanity, him being man. And there's people all different sizes, and they're trying to figure the, this out because, right, it's kind of a complex issue. And so they were fighting through that. And some people would credit him more as God, and some would credit him more as man, and they're putting percentages on it. And, well, is he more God than more man or more man than God? And so all the church leaders got together in Ephesus, and they got together and said, you know, we need to really figure this out. And out of that came what's called a hypostatic union. And basically what they said was, Jesus has two natures, his humanity and his divinity. And within his humanity and divinity, he is one man. Not one's greater than the other, not one's more important than the other, but they're two natures all in one. As they worked through this, about 20 years later, they came up with what was called the Chalcedonian Creed. And I want to read an excerpt excerpt for you. And this is what the Chalcedonian Creed said. Jesus is to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the, the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person, in one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God, the Word, the Lord, Jesus Christ. They wanted to make sure that people understood that he was two natures in one. Fully man, fully God. All humanity, all divinity in one. St. Augustine uh, said this, and I actually put this on my Facebook this, this week, and it's been interesting. Several people have talked, talked with me, Facebooked me, uh, connected with me on this. And uh, you, kind of the common thought was, yeah, I read that, and I wanted to say, yeah, that's awesome. Then I realized that I had to read it a couple more times to realize what I was reading. I did the same thing. This is what St. Augustine said, said. The Son of God was made a participant in mortality in order that mortal humanity might be made a participant in divinity. What he was saying was, Jesus started as divine. He didn't start in humanity. He started in divinity. And Jesus, God, the divine, became a participant in humanity. He became man. Why? So that all of us would have the choice to participate in divinity, to have eternal life. You see, for us, we have to grasp onto the fact that Jesus understands us. He walked on this earth. 
He experienced the emotion and the pain and the confusion and the temptations and everything you and I have experienced, are experiencing. He gets it. Why? He's fully man. He lived on this earth and he meets us right there. And when, the, when life crashes in on us, he understands. He gets it. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, So then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Get that. He faced all, yet was without sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. Our great high priest is fully divine, fully human, fully God and fully man. He gets us. You see, the the story goes on in verse 37. It says this fierce storm rose up. You see, the disciples, them being around the Sea of Galilee wasn't a new thing. That, that was the region they lived in. Many of them were actually fishermen. They had spent their lifetime on that, that body of water. They understood uh, what, what, what happened. You see, the Sea of Galilee, how it, how it kind of sat, was there is this, it's kind of like this perfect wind tunnel. There's mountains on both sides of it. And in the evening, when the cool air and the warmer air started to collide, it just creates, creates these insane storms. They would just, like this, they'd come up, winds, and they just knew that in the evening, this was a dangerous time. And so they found themselves in the middle of this fierce storm. It wasn't just a normal one, because in this moment, literally the water was crashing into the boat, and they were fearful that the boat was going to go down, that they were going to drown, they were going to die. They found themselves in that moment. So what storms are you facing right now? What has you up late at night, laying in bed, just thinking? What right now are you navigating through? Maybe other people know about it. Maybe no one knows about it because you've kept it inside. Maybe it's a spiritual storm right now. Last week, I, uh, I, I threw out this thought, and I said, well, maybe you won't like me right now. And uh, after service, this guy came up, and he, with a really good spirit and a smile on his face, he looked at me and goes, yeah, I don't like you right now. I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> why? When you feel that tension inside of you, that's the Holy Spirit. Pay attention to it. The Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention. It's trying to wake you up. It's trying to get you to look up. You know, last week I said, say the simple statement. It's not about I, it's about you. Why? Keep focused on him. He'll make your path straight. So maybe right now you're going through a spiritual storm. And seriously, I'm glad you are. And wrestle through it. Work your way through it. Pray through it. Surround yourself with people who will help you through it. You know, maybe for you, it's a, it's, a, it's a personal storm. Maybe you created it, right? We do that. Our choices, our decisions. 
We create our own mess. It always makes me laugh when people come to me and they're like, well, Chris, yeah, this and this happened and I did this and yeah, it was kind of stupid and all this, but I asked God to clean it up and he's not responding. I'm like, you made the mess. And so many times in church world, we say, well, God's grace covers us. You're right, his grace covers us. But guess what? There's consequences to our sin, right? Grace saves us. It doesn't mean that it takes away the consequences of our choices. But many times, right, storms just crash into our world. It's not, I mean, it's the text message we got yesterday. I didn't do anything to cause that other than follow God's lead out to New Jersey. You know? Maybe it's an addiction you have that no one knows about. Maybe it's a relational storm. Again, whether you created it or it's just been thrust upon you. I got an email a couple weeks ago. And uh, I've, I've known this guy... Um, since he was in eighth grade 16 years ago. And uh, he was at like six foot eight, eighth grader. <laughs> like he was massive. And uh, I did his wedding uh, about five years ago. And I got a, an email from his wife. And this is what she wrote. We've been married five years now. On our anniversary, our anniversary was just two weeks ago. But we did not celebrate our marriage on that day. Several days prior to that, Nick told me he wanted a divorce. We've had a rough year, but I thought that we had pushed through the issues and the things were getting better. I was shocked that he felt this way and he's not willing to work it out. God has been distanced in our lives this past year and I'm not even sure why we allowed that to happen. I think Easter was the last time I went to church and up until recently, I'm not even sure how often I prayed. Now it seems like that's all I'm doing, but I feel like it's too late. I started to read Judd's book, Torn, this week and read your story about your son. I'm trying not to ask why and remember who, like the book says. I asked Nick to come with me to talk with someone, and he refused. Any suggestions? I would love to talk to someone, but I'm embarrassed, disappointed, and scared. I love Nick more than anything or anyone on this earth. And I don't want my marriage to be over. I pray that this is not God's plan for us. Please pray for us. And any advice or guidance you can provide is greatly appreciated. I sat and stared at my computer screen. What felt like hours. How do you respond to that? Of course I'm going to pray for her. I mean that, yeah. There's not a lot of great answers right now. See, the disciples found themselves in the boat. And what I find is interesting is they waited until the boat was filling up with water. Right? They waited until the moment where it got so bad, then they started screaming for help. And they went to Jesus screaming, and, he, and they literally said, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? In Matthew, the words are, save us. And isn't that what we do in life? We wait, we wait, we wait, we wait, we wait, we wait. 
until the storm gets so bad, until it gets so confusing, until it gets so intense. Then we go to God and say, oh, I need your help now. I mean, you listen to her story. Like, it just didn't happen one day. I mean, her marriage didn't fall apart in 24 hours. It was five years, right? You heard her say, we should have, but we didn't. What's rolling in your world right now that you need to go to Jesus now because he understands? Don't wait until it gets bad. Don't wait until you try to do everything within your control. You go to him quickly and now. Jesus wakes up and he, and he uh, says these words, silence, be, be still. And it says, suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And listen to what the disciples, they said, who is this man? Even the wind and waves obey him. In the midst of Jesus' humanity, we see his divinity. You see, Jesus took this moment, what Jesus knew, because he was fully God, he knew that he was trying to take this group of guys and move them down for him, them to fully understand that he was fully man but fully God. That, that he came on this earth to save everyone so that all may have life. You see, in that moment, the disciples were faced with this reality that God was fully man but yet fully God. Even the winds obeyed him. Just a few chapters later in Mark, Mark chapter 8, there's this amazing moment where Jesus asks this question, but who do you say that I am? And you could just sense this moment where Peter's voice is kind of lifted over everyone else's. And Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You see, as we navigate this life Again, the storms are going to come. They're going to crash into our lives. It's not a matter of if they come. It's when they come and how often and with what fury, right? Again, sometimes we create those storms. Sometimes they just are forced upon us, but they're going to come with what fury and what force. That's the question, right? And so I want to challenge you with, challenge you with a couple quick thoughts. One is this. Go to Jesus first. Don't wait like the disciples did where they're literally drowning. The boat's going down to go to him. Go to him now. Maybe there's nothing even on the horizon. Great. Go to him now. Don't wait. Are you building that relationship with him? Are you growing and understanding who he is? Second, is truly embrace the fact that he truly understands where you're at. That's why we need to go to him. Because he does understand. He's not this God way up in heaven that's disconnected from us. He truly understands navigating this world, this life. Number three, gain perspective. And this is going to be a challenge for some of you. Paul said these words. He said, to live is Christ and die is to gain. 
To live is Christ, to die is to gain. You know what Paul was saying? This world is temporary, right? We're just kind of taking up some time and space. We have eternity on the other side of this world. And Paul understood that whatever he experienced here on this world, what, when he was in jail, when he was being beaten, when he was being starved, all this stuff he experienced here on this earth, he understood that it was just temporary because his life was eternal with the divine. And when we start approaching life that way, that you know what? Man, this world is temporary. We start gaining a new perspective. I'm not saying there's not uh, tough moments, right? There's moments like my house getting flooded, which is just highly irritating, and I have no idea how all this is going to work out. All the way to the other side when I had to deal with my son, right? Way, way opposite ends. But guess what? One day I'll get to spend eternity with him. Pull back, gain perspective. To live as Christ, die is to gain. And when we start understanding that our world here is temporary, it takes the things we're dealing with and it just brings them down a little bit or a whole bunch. Because we realize that one day our world's going to be perfect. And the last thought for all of you is just allow us to pray with you don't don't do this alone right i mean don't don't try to navigate your storms by yourself we have a a prayer team and you can simply uh send an email to prayer at renaissancechurch.org really simple to remember and uh we just want to pray with you and you can email it anonymously you don't have to put your name on it uh, you can put your name on it, but every week I, I get a series of emails and uh, I'm praying for people constantly and I want to pray for you. And there's a team of people that want to pray for you. And uh, join us um, together because um, we all need the encouragement and the support. One thing I know is church, this place, can be a shelter from the storms of life. And uh, for some of you, I mean, literally, this is your one hour a week that just gives you that breath of fresh air where you go, "Ah, I can face another week. For some of you, you just, right, it's just, I got to get to Sunday, give me an hour, and I'm going to be able to navigate the rest of life. And that's what we want Renaissance to be, is that place where people can come to and get that breath and understand that they're not alone, that God's walking with them and understands and that he so desperately loves all of us. Let me pray. Lord, I just thank you for uh, today. I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing in all of our lives. I thank you for, uh, man, you fully understanding how difficult and complicated this world can be. And Lord, I just pray that we go to you first. We don't wait until we're drowning, but Lord, we just, we, you're the first person we go to and realize that you can help navigate any steps along the path. So Lord, I pray for these people. I don't know what they're all going through, Lord, but you do. What I do know is there's some pretty intense storms raging in people's lives right now. And so Lord, I just pray that they'll feel your peace 
that they'll feel your peace. In your name I pray, amen.